just to set the scene again, my own context, before we read this text. For me, it's been full three months since the surgery. And since mid-March, I've been suffering from that dizziness. Uh, I don't know, six weeks or so that I've been suffering. I was literally languishing in my own bed all day, every day. And it was just a non-stop suffering for me. And I've learned a few things through that. And I'm still learning, and I am not at 100%. Even this really is an act of faith for me to overcome my fears. So those six weeks, I was defeated physically. But I also learned that in whatever disease, afflictions that you have, half of your battle lies in your psychological warfare. It could be the physical suffering, but that causes psychological suffering. And when you are suffering psychologically, it affects your body. So it is that cycle. Yes, that's the cycle. Or if it starts with psychologically, then that is a dark place that you are going to be in. And the worst thing for me was really all of that cycle, but I couldn't see the doctor. After six or seven weeks, I still didn't see my ENT doctor. That is tomorrow. So, without knowing the cause, I am suffering. So, because you don't know what the cause is, you don't know the cure, what you should be doing. Doctor's appointment is weeks away. So, all this time, you're just guessing. 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 Maybe this caused this. Maybe that caused this. All day long, that's what you are doing. Uh, So, I had to eat. But I will eat little. But by the time I'm done eating, I'm just tired. And I'll go to my bed and I'll lie down. I'll never do that in my normal lifetime. You eat and you don't lie down. But I had to do that, to secure my head with pillow so that it does not move, and I would just lie down. And what can you do? Yeah, I've never suffered like this. Uh, If something else hurts, you could identify that pain in your brain. But when your brain is causing all of that, there's no other organ in your body could feel and process that that, that pain or suffering, that, that was a bad, bad place. So I would lie down, and the only thing that I was able to do was to listen to the music. So I would put my phone up here so that I could hear it. Christian songs, but no voice, just uh, instrument, instrument playing, streaming, piano, quiet songs that would soothe me. So that's all I was doing. But also, I'll be praying. I'll be praying. But I'll pray, God save me, deliver me. And I couldn't even speak then. 
But there were times that the dizziness will go down to the level of four or five, and I cannot lie down all day long. So I'll go to the couch, and even during this past few weeks, I was able to finish a simple book. Saints' Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. So I will sit down and I'll read a chapter, a few pages, highlight it, and I am telling you, there was no time in my life that I desired heaven more than these past few weeks. I mean, you are bound to do that. As I was reading it, there was a passage. So I looked up a passage. That's the Psalm 143 that is printed out before you. His reference was simply to one verse, but as I was reading the entire chapter, 143, for me, I don't know how many of you, I mean, I've been reading Psalms here and there, you know, different portions of it, but I've never really felt that the Psalm, entire Psalm, was talking about me. Entirety, every verse. 100% sync with your life. I've never, ever felt that way about a psalm, piece of psalm. So as I was reading it, to the end, I was crying, you know. So try to read this from my perspective. Dizzy all the time, no relief in sight. And this was his prayer, this was my prayer, and this will be your prayer in your, those days. Let me read this psalm for you, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. For the enemy, for me, that enemy was that dizziness. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, My heart is appalled within me. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me. Or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. The last phrase, for I am your servant. Um, that, that was my, this was my prayer. Once I've learned it, even in my dizziness, I remember trying to memorize this. Because I couldn't open the Bible up every time. So I memorized it as much as I can. And when I'm lying down, I'll recite this in my head. And if I'm too tired, just here and there, verse here, then verse there, I will pray. So that has been my life since mid-March, especially April. And I want to talk to you today about verse 1. Remember, during the COVID lockdown, I did broadcast psalms. I wanted to learn about the psalms. Psalms, 150 of them, they are like a vast ocean. You don't know where to go. This song, that song, unless you spend your time in it, you will never know where to go, which pathway. But at least we know, if you will recall, it is divided into five books. And there are many authors who wrote these psalms, but the vast majority of, it, of them are written by King David. David wrote 73 out of 150. And do you remember where the most of his David's psalms are deposited in those books? Do you remember? St structurally, in those books, the vast majority of David's psalms are Placed in book one and in book two. Three, four, five, they have them, but the majority will be found in book one and book two. And book one through five, there is a general theme. Somebody's editing this, somebody's putting this together. So, whoever that was, the final editor, they, he had his mind set. So, there's different theme to it. And now we find 143rd Psalm toward the end in book 5. And we want to come back to that. It says this, a Psalm of David, literally says a melody of David. And the very first word is not here. Very first word in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's melody of David. Yahweh Shemam. Here, listen to my prayer. That's what it says. Yahweh is the first word that comes out of his mouth. Let me give you a quiz. If you are a seasoned believer, you know 
What's the nickname of King David? How do we refer to King David? What's the phrase that describes David in the Bible? It's a quiz. A man after his own heart. Right? So we say David was a man after his, that's God's own heart. That's David. That's, that's David's nickname. So I looked it up this week to understand that phrase. What does that mean? A man after his own heart. It first appears in 1 Samuel 13, where Samuel is rebuking King Saul for disobeying. And this is what Samuel says to Saul. But now your soul, your kingdom shall not endure. Yahweh has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and Yahweh has appointed him as ruler of his people, because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. That's the phrase. Yahweh has sought out for himself a man after his, capitalized his, God's own heart. Still unclear. Still unclear. That translation is unclear. So I looked at the Hebrew word, and I looked at Young's literal translation to see how that translated that phrase. And I was scratching my head because that a man after his own heart is not what it, what it, what is saying. Let me give you Young's literal translation. Jehovah has sought for himself a man. That's David. According to God's own heart. That's the idea. When you translate that phrase as a man after God's own heart, the emphasis lies with David. It gives an idea that David was a person who was chasing after God or God's own heart to be accepted in God's sight, doing everything that he can to be holy and blameless and accepting and obeying God's word. A man after his own heart. But literally, I am just saying, it should be understood and translated, God chose for himself a man according to his own heart. Now the emphasis lies with God's own actions. So I looked it up, and uh, one theologian says this. The emphasis is not David's own character, but it emphasizes Yahweh's own freedom in selecting a replacement for Saul. Something to think about. But also, there is a sense in which that God is choosing David because Saul is disobedient, but God loves God found him who is acceptable in his sight. So Psalm 89, 20 says, I have found David, my servant. Yes, so there is that sense. He was prepared man. He was godly man. In a sense, if I could put it this way, God was confident that my choice who will replace Saul will be different from what Saul has been doing to me. He, my choice, 
will obey me. So these two ideas are put together by Paul in Acts 13, 22. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, first, quoting Psalm, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, that is, a man according to my own heart, who will do all my will. So it's not either or proposition here. But I simply want you to know, to understand that phrase that God chose according to his own heart. A man who will obey and do all of God's will. But anyway, so let's pause and think about this. David's nickname, we say he was a man after God's own heart. More importantly, it is that King David to whom God said, He that is Messiah will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his his kingdom forever. In 2 Samuel 7. Through David's line, according to human line, Messiah will come. And then Messiah will establish everlasting kingdom upon David's kingdom or throne. So that's that great David. And let me, let me ask you this. Do you have a nickname like David? David's nickname, a man after God's own heart or God's heart. Sons of Thunder. You remember them? Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. So I'm simply saying, do you have that kind of a spiritual nickname if somebody sees you? Can somebody say, you are such and such person in the house of God? Something spiritual, spiritual nickname. It is that David who is writing... And as I've been reciting this in my own head, it took me a few days to find out what was going on. Would you look at verse 1 again? A Psalm of David, that great man of God. Hear my prayer. Give ear. Answer me. He is crying out that verse 1 precisely because God is not answering him. Until the end of verse 12, he's crying out, I am your servant. And God is not delivering him from whatever affliction that he was in. There was, not, there was not a quick solution to the problem, whatever the situation was. And once I found that out, I was very much encouraged. As I've been trying to say, none of us could claim a nickname like King David. Can any one of 
could say to God, God, I am a man after your heart. You chose me with full confidence like that. Have you killed Goliath? Have you led so many brutal warfares against God's enemies? Have you written more than half or almost half of book of Psalms? Has God built his messianic kingdom through your line? No. We cannot claim any of that. Compared to David, what are we? Nobodies. Nothing. But it is that great David who is crying out to God, Hear, give ear, answer. Why? Again, because God is not answering him right now. And once I found that out, I was thinking to myself, if God did not deliver him immediately from his problems and issues and afflictions, it's okay for me for not hearing God's answer right away. I, 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 I'm asking God, God, you need to deliver me right now. I mean, this is too much for me. I cannot handle this. I am dying. I mean, I just cannot, I can't do this. Right? You're, cry, you're crying out to God. But even King David had to wait. And if I could put it into the context of bigger song, book five is about triumph. Book one, book two is about struggles. A lot of David's psalms are about struggling. Always. Most of them. He has some thanksgiving, but most of his psalms, David's psalms, is about struggling. Save me. But really, they, they are concentrated in book one and two. By the time when book 5 comes, the editor was telling Israelites, all of those things will come to an end with hallelujah chorus. They, that's how it's going to end. But right before the hallelujah chorus in 143, the editor brings back not one of those thanksgiving psalms of David, but one of the most heart-wrenching God-wrenching prayers of David toward the end, right before the hallelujah chorus. I think there was a point. I haven't looked it up. I, haven't, I didn't read the commentary, but I am pretty sure. The editor is telling the Israelites, our lives will be full of ups and downs. It's not like this. Our lives do not go upward like this all the time to the victory all the way. Even as you are expecting book 5, 119th Psalm, the longest one, and around there a lot of songs of ascents, all of this victorious righteousness of God. But right before he comes to the climax of chorus, he goes down. I think the editor is making a point. Brothers and sisters, our lives will be full of ups and downs. When you think you have arrived... Next thing you know, you're plunging to the depth of the darkest pit where the dead will dwell. And you are crying out to God, 
hear me, answer me, deliver me. All day long, every day, not knowing where this is going to end. I'm speaking to Christians. For us, for us, the absence of God's answer right now to our prayers, that does not mean that God is absent from your life. Immediately in your affliction, you pray, God, deliver me. And when that deliverance does not come, we conclude, are you there? That's the next thing you say. Are you there? Is this a fraud? This is a fake document? Is this real? Where are you? Why are you hiding? That's what most Christians do. You pray, there's no deliverance, therefore, God does not exist. I think so many people in the church they grow out of religion. All of you have been in your life, I am confident, Sunday school teachers. Some of you youth pastors. We have taught so many children. How many of them remain? It's not just your church or your experience across the board. Not many. And I cannot know why. But it's a sad reality. But one of the reasons is that they would all say, I've tried God. I've tried this. But when I was struggling, where was he? So there is a sense of deep disappointment. And they concluded that God does not exist because God is not answering. But what I am saying is that if you are a Christian, you are a Christian not because you chose, not because you understood, but by the grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit, we confess Jesus as Lord. If Holy Spirit has enlightened our hearts and regenerated our hearts, even in the midst of our struggles, you and I will never say God does not exist. You and I will never doubt God's presence. But like David, he will pray, he will persevere in it. Job Job, one of the, what's the most famous verse in Job? Job 19.25 As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's 25. Let's read from verse, all your verses, chapter 19. Well, actually, chapter 2, he said he never sinned with his lips, right? So all of the things that you will find in Job's confession will not be 
a blatant sin. But he would complain a lot. Before Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, let me give you a few verses before that. Usually we take that out of context and say, we say, you see, this is what Job says. So no matter what you're going through, be like Job. But that's, can we, can we go earlier, a few verses before then? Chapter 9, same chapter, verse 6 says this. Know then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. Behold, I cry violence, but I get no answer. I shout for help, but there is no justice. God has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He has put darkness on my path. He has stripped my honor from me and removed the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. God, he has kindled his anger against me and counted me as his adversary. He has removed my brothers, relatives, and friends. Everybody's gone, he says. I call my servant, but they do not answer. They don't come. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children reject me. I rise up, they speak against me. I used to be the most prominent person in this town. Everybody bow down when I pass the streets, but nobody's doing that. Everybody's rejecting me. My own servants are shunning me. Everybody abhor me. And in the midst of those complaints, in verse 25 he says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will rise over the dust of this world. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall behold God. Brothers and sisters, our struggle is real and it may come at the high point, 104th, almost there. We are victorious and everything is going well, but... We go down. Job was like that. Who could endure Job's trial? He complains. But in the midst of it all, his foundation is not destroyed. What about Jesus? Gethsemane. He prays three times, My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He, he prays three times. He goes to his disciples, he comes back. Goes back, disciples, and he comes back. He goes and he comes back. You may say, during those three times of his prayer, God talked to him, maybe in inaudible voice, in his head. I don't think so. Last words of Christ on the cross was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. So should we conclude that Jesus died with his broken heart? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And later he yields up his soul and he dies. 
But should we say that he disowned the father and he became an unbeliever? He became an atheist? He left the church, if I could put it that way? He grew out of his own religion? Son of God, did he do that? Should we conclude like that? Where Joyce said before him, he endured the cross and he sat on the right-hand side of God. So we shouldn't conclude that way. What about Paul? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And right before that, he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and through the provision of the Spirit of Christ. So, look at Job. Look at Christ. Look at Paul. They all had their struggles in a prolonged time. David today, he's crying out in whatever situation, God is not answering. God is not listening. At least not right now. Oh, he is. But he is not delivering him out of that pit that he was in. So, we should know, and verse 1 should give us hope, that I am not the first believer who is going through this and feel like God is not listening or God has abandoned me just because I am not feeling the relief right now. All true believers persevere in it. And because all of those examples that I've given you, they suffered well, they all became examples for the later generations of covenant family. And even in the midst of it all, we have direct access to God. And have you noticed those three verbs are all imperatives? They are. He does not have time for the pleasantries. Just straight away, Yahweh, hear, listen, give ear, answer. But all of those great believers, they do not conclude or walk away from their God. Their struggles are real. With their bitter soul, they cry out to God. But the foundation is not destroyed. That's what I want you to keep in mind. I realized we talk about fellowship with God or communion with God often. And when we think about those, we think about a happy and blessed time. Time of fellowship with God. But do you realize verse 1 is David's fellowship with God in his suffering. Fellowship with God is not only with your coffee, Bible open, when things are all going well and giving thanks to God, putting some notes down under your Bibles. They are all important and great. But should also include, our vocabulary of fellowship with God should also include Psalm 143, Verse 1. Blessed is the person 
who could cry out to God like this and still endure in it. And know by faith in God's faithfulness and righteousness, God will in the end deliver us, all of us. I learned, I probably will talk more about this, that hope is everything. Hope is everything, not 99%. Hope is everything in all situations of your life. The question is, what are you going to hope for or hope in? Everything else changes, but our God who loved us in Christ Jesus. That God is for you and me. And my plea to you and me, even myself, is to let us hold on to it. Let us not walk away from it, but let us endure it. May God give you grace. Let's pray.